Well, good morning again. Um, let's just open up by, by praying. Father, there's just no way to quantify the love you have for us in Christ Jesus. And God reminded that nothing can separate us from that love. Height or depth can't. Present and future can't. Angels and demons can't. Our own sin can't. And so God, help us to remind ourselves of the love you have for us in your son Jesus. Help us to live lives rooted in knowing, not forgetting, not walking away from the love you have for us in Christ Jesus. God, not looking for love, not looking for approval, not looking for affirmation, not wandering around aimlessly hoping someone would, but knowing that you already have through the work of your son Jesus. By his work, not our work. By his obedience, not our obedience. By the blood of his cross, not by the feeble efforts of our hands. Grant us to know the rock solid, no condemnation love of Jesus Christ in our life. And then grant us to live like it's true. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have credit cards? Man, the rest of you aren't telling the truth, are you? Right? So you go through this process, you fill out an application, probably online, you stick your social security number in, they check on you to see if you're good enough, and then they send back a reply, right? Approved. Or maybe if you don't have the card, it wasn't approved. Let you deal with that. Or if you've gotten a bank loan to get a house. It's gotten a little more complicated over the last few years, but you go out and you, you basically say, here's my firstborn child, here's some blood, here's a DNA sample, here's my income, here's my taxes, you know, here's my bank records, here's where the money's coming from, and if you, if you, you know, hold your body posture just right, at the end of that process, they're gonna put a stamp, approved. Well, I wonder how many of us are living our Christian life that way. Here's my work. Here's my social media profile and here's my best pictures and here's my inspirational quotes and here's the right filters around them. Can I be approved? Will somebody approve of me? Here's my service at church. Here's my giving. Here's my accumulation. Will somebody approve of me? Here's my carefully crafted social image. Will somebody approve of me? We live... For someone to put their stamp of approval on us. And we spend our lives futilely with varying cycles of feeling good because it's going well. And they are in various cycles of fear that it's going to fall apart. Or depression because it's not working out. Please approve of me. And the question isn't whether you're going to live your life for approval. You will. The question is whose approval will you live for? Whose approval will you live for? Will you live for the approval of the crowds? Will you live for the approval of followers who might just happen to heart the right picture? And if they do, they approve. Will you live for the right post that will get enough likes and enough comments to fill inside of you? They approve. 
or we live for the one who already says, my approval has been finalized at the cross of my son. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn, you don't have to jump through hoops for it. You don't have to work for it. It's given to you. Will you live for his approval? Will you live as one who has been approved to live a life that is approved? Or will you constantly chase the crowd's approval, the friend's approval, the social circle's approval, the boss's approval, your spouse's approval, your kid's approval, your parents' approval? And realize you never quite get it. And I would love to say I've outgrown that. And I just haven't. Like, look, I must be doing something right. Look at all the people that are here. And then what if they're not here next week? What if I blow it? What if I have something horrible hanging from my face that I don't know and y'all didn't tell me that it's in my teeth and then you don't come back next week? And we can ride the, the roller coaster of the wave of, look, it's going good, but is it going to fall apart? Look, it's going good. I must be good. Look, it's not going good anymore. Where have I failed? Or I can live for the approval of the one who's already said approved. I can work for the one who's already accomplished the work. I can trust the one who's finished the work. And so I want to encourage you. And I want to challenge you. Live and serve for the approval of God, not man. Live and serve for the approval of a perfect heavenly father who has already loved you and adopted you into his family all by his work and stamp no condemnation over your life. Live and serve and work your heart out while resting in the work that he's already done. Live and serve for the approval of God, not man. Here's three goals to serve for God's approval versus man's. Let's look at it in uh, chapter 10, verses 7 through 18. Look what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you by your letter, by my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that we, what we say by letter, when we're absent, we will do when we are present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us, to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We did not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence may be greatly enlarged. So that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. Without boasting of work already done in other areas of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but it is the one whom the Lord commends. Are you living that the Lord might commend your life approved? Are you living that you might commend yourself by what you do? It will wear you out and it will crush you if you live that way. And it will give you life and hope if you'll live for the approval of God. Who's already approved of you based on his work. Let's look at it. Minister with the aim to build others up in Jesus, not break them down. 
Minister with the aim to build others up in Jesus, not break them down. I'm going to just confess, I'm, I am terrible at this with my kids. Alright, so I walk in on the scene and they're yelling and they're fussing and they're whining and they're fighting. And the only way to stop kids from yelling is yell louder, right? Alright, help us Lord. So we yell louder and guess what? They stop yelling at each other. They sulk and they give you the cold shoulder and they pout and they whine and they walk around the house moping for a few hours, but you stop the yelling. Because so often our goal is to crush behavior, conform behavior. But conform behavior, crushed behavior doesn't transform the heart. And so is your goal when things are friction with roommates, is your goal when things are frictioned at home, When your goal, is your goal when things are frictioned in your marriage or frictioned in your workplace, is your goal to crush bad behavior? Crush the problem. Walk over the top of people if you have to. Or is the goal that you have, I want, I want restored relationship. I want to point to Jesus. I want to form Jesus in the believers around me or I want to show Jesus to the unbelievers around me. And so I'm going to try to build up towards Jesus as opposed to crush the things that are wrong. I just want to encourage you, do your service, do your ministry, do your life, do your reconciliation, do your relationships in a way that seeks to build the people around you up towards Jesus as opposed to pushed down their behavior or pushed down so that you can get over them and on, uh, uh, above them and, and better than them and seen as better than them. Live to build up. Don't live to tear down. Let's look at, at Paul as he walks through this. So Paul veered off slightly uh, in, in the last passage of his defense of himself and his ministry. And he's like, so here's some charges against me. I'm going to answer them. I'm going to deal with them. And so he, he began to deal with, with the issues, mainly focusing on, look, my goal is to not be right. My goal is to not win the fight that we're having. My goal is that restoration would happen, that reconciliation would happen. And, and so that's what he was focused on in the last passage. And so he made it clear, look, my enemies aren't the people that are accusing me. And neither are yours. My enemies are not the people around me. My enemies aren't the people I have disagreements with. My enemies aren't the people living in my house that I'm having friction with. My enemies are the arguments and the self-promotion and the selfishness and the self-exaltation and the ideas and philosophies that war against knowing Jesus in every area of life. War against the knowledge of God. And so he went through and he's like, here's, here's how you deal with that stuff. First... Take every thought captive. So put your thoughts in a cage and observe them. And I had to do this this week. There's a couple of things I had to do it with. And so I'm like, trap that thing. Golly, when I actually look at this in a cage, I cannot believe how horrible it is that I actually thought and wrestled and believed this truth. Because it's not true. And so capture your thoughts. Stick them in a cage. Observe them. And then the next step was tame them with the truth of the gospel. Speak Jesus into that truth. Here's what Jesus is like. Here's what's true about God. Here's what's true about his accompli- uh, what he's accomplished so that that thought loses its power and is transformed and it submits itself to the gospel. And once that thought is transformed and redeemed and submits to the gospel, then walk it out into life through new obedience, through transformed living. And so that's what he, he went through, this process of reconciliation. Now he's back on to dealing with um, some of the issues and the charges that are being levied against him. And so he begins, look what's before your eyes. 
After you've gone through this process, after you've cleared your vision, after you've begun to walk in obedience, look what's before your eyes. Which basically is would be how we would say it, it's staring you in the face. Like the evidence of what I'm about to say is staring you right in the face. If it were a snake, it would bite you, right? That's how we would say it today. Look what's staring you in the face. And then he goes on and says the issue that he's dealing with. If anyone's confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself. He's Christ, but so are we. And so that may be dealing with, there's kind of two interpretations we're going to work through here. One, he may mean that in the general sense. And the general sense would mean like salvation, belong to Jesus. Like that's how we usually say, like if somebody is belongs to Christ, we'd say they're saved, right? And so in the general sense of salvation, if anyone says they're confident, I'm in Christ, I'm saved, they're united to Jesus. Well, if you're united to Jesus, so are we. So we should be united to each other. Right? That's the way it works. If you are united to Jesus Christ, then you should and must live in unity with His people. So that would be the general sense. I don't think that's probably what the text is talking about. Because there's no real accusation that we know of that, that anybody's accusing Paul of not being a believer. Like, nobody's saying Paul doesn't belong to Jesus, we do. So here's what I think it's talking about. It's a more special use of the word. And so if anybody's confident they're in, they are Christ, I think what he is saying, if anybody is confident that they have a commissioning from Christ... They belong to Him in a commissioned sense. That the power of Christ works through them and the Word of Christ is spoken through them. So if anybody is commissioned with the power and the words of Jesus, if anybody's confident of that, then they need to know we are also. And so what is He saying? Like the only chance anybody in the Corinthian church belongs to Jesus and is commissioned by Jesus is because I got there with the gospel through my blood, sweat, and tears. And so surely, that if somebody's got a special call of God on their life in the Corinthian church, I would have to have that same call. Because the only reason they exist in the faith is because I was there. And so if anybody says they're confident they belong to Christ, then they need to understand, so also do we. And so for even if I do boast a little too much in my authority, I will not be ashamed by that fact. I will not let them shame me by that fact. So what is he talking about? Well, one of the charges, and Paul does not agree with it, by the way. One of the charges is, Paul, you are too pitiful and you are too weak to try to wield the authority over this church that you do. Who do you think you are correcting us? Who do you think you are calling us to repentance? Who do you think you are convicting of us of sin? Who do you think you are trying to drive us back to you? Have you seen yourself lately? Like, that seems to be what they're saying about Paul. And so why do you, why do you, why do you boast so much of your authority? And Paul, like, if I do boast a little too much of my authority, don't agree with it, I will not let you shame me into silence. I will not let you make me be quiet by, look how pitiful he is, by talking down to him, by slandering him, by trying to despise him. I won't let your insults keep me from speaking the truth of Christ. Is that the way you live? Like, I'm not going to let the way they look at me, I'm not going to let that they despise me, I'm not going to let my past failures be used as a shame tool to keep me silent about Jesus. I'm not going to do it. And how can that be true, though? How can you do that? Because the verdict that matters over your life is not the verdict of your adversaries. The verdict that matters over your life is not the verdict of those who have seen you fail. The verdict that matters over your life is not the verdict of the people that are surrounding you, even in your faith community, though it's important. The verdict that matters over your life is the verdict that God decides. 
And what God has decided is if you're in Christ, you're declared righteous. What God has decided is the verdict over your life, no condemnation. What God has decided, the verdict over your life is adopted. What God has decided, the verdict over your life is dearly loved child. And so you can, you can live for the opinions of those who would try to silence you or shame you or embarrass you over your past and over your failures or over the weaknesses or over the frailty that you see in the mirror. And you can let yourself silence you because what you see doesn't measure up and it's not good enough. Or you can let God release you into the ministry with a boldness because of the stamp of approval He's put over your life. And that's what Paul has chosen. Think about this. He uh, Basically, a whole church turned against him. And he must not be much to look at. And so you're not much to look at. You really stink at preaching, Paul. Plus, you have no integrity. Think how easy it would be. Okay, then I'm going to move on. Or think how easy it would be to just say, I'm going to sit down because they're right. But if what you say over your life is gospel truth and not man's truth, then a different verdict comes out. And you don't have to be shamed into silence. And that's what Paul says. Even if I do boast a little too much about my authority, I'm not going to be shamed by you over that. Because God has given me this authority. And why did God give him that authority? Why did God give him that influence? And that might be a better word as you use this in your life. Why did God give you the influence he's given you over the people around you? If he made you a boss, if he made you, uh, put you in a marriage, if he gave you kids, if he, if he elevated your position at school, why did he give you that position? To walk over the top of people to get ahead? Nope. To crush them and push them down? Nope. So that they could look up to you and how great you are? No. Look what he did. Why did he give you influence? To build up. I will not stop calling you back to Jesus because, or I will not stop calling you to repentance because repentance is the way back to Jesus. I will not stop confronting the broken relationships that are part of your life because I want you back to Jesus. I will not stop driving against your sin and driving against your failures. I will not stop driving against broken relationships because I want Christ formed in you. I want you to know Jesus and be back in Jesus' presence. I want you to experience the one whose presence is the fullness of joy. I want you to encounter and experience Jesus so I cannot quit pursuing you with the gospel because I cannot let you remain disconnected from Jesus as long as there is a breath in my body and an opportunity of influence for me to win you back. I can't quit doing it. And so I will boast not as an authority to exert over people but as an authority to beg people to return to flourishing in Jesus' name. And so I will not be ashamed. I will not be stopped from that. And then he keeps going. I don't want to appear to be frightening with your letter, me with your letters, right? You know, fear doesn't transform anybody, right? Fear can conform behavior while the presence of fear is there, but fear will never transform the heart. And so Paul's like, I'm not trying to frighten you into a transformed heart. But I do want you to understand, linking this with the last verse of this section, I do want you to understand that when I show up again, and he's preparing his way for this other visit, I do want you to know when I show up again, everything that I've written, I am going to do it. Right? So so don't think this visit's going to be like the last visit. What I'm writing, I'm going to do. And then he kind of lists out this very directly and quotes the charge. His letters are so weighty and strong. Oh, he is so eloquent. He's so smart. He said such a great theological mind until he shows up. And then you're like, that's it? That's Paul? And then you start listening to him speak and it's like, that? I'm sorry. 
we can't build a church off that, Paul. You just ain't quite good enough. And so it's back to you like, Paul, what gives you the right to be talking to us so boldly? Like Nobody's going to listen to you. We've got these leaders who are powerful. We've got these leaders who can carry a crowd. We've got these leaders who are amazing, eloquent speakers. Paul. You see, what was valued in the ancient world in, in this time, what was valued by them is people who were eloquent, who had the golden tongue, who could exaggerate their skills and abilities, and could really hold a crowd. And so to be elevated in politics, you were only going to be elevated if you were able to knock down the opposition, if you were able to out-argue and out-win and, out, and, and be out-winsome and to, to carry the speech. And then teachers and philosophers would gain their students who paid money by how well they could speak, how eloquent they could be. And unfortunately, this came into the church. Paul, I'm sorry. You don't look good enough or strong enough for us to build a crowd off of you. I'm sorry, Paul. You don't speak powerfully enough. You don't command attention enough. You don't have the kind of dynamic preaching ability that we need. So, Paul, I'm sorry. And that was the charge they laid against him. And wouldn't it be great to scoff at them until we start looking at ourselves? Man, I have access through my phone to the greatest preachers in the world. And I got to listen to this guy every week. Right? And we build massive churches on the personality of pastors and on the speaking ability of pastors. But we're not them, are we? Yes, we're them. God's measurement and God's standard. Because here's how we think about it. Man, he built a big church. He must be right. He speaks so eloquently and amazingly. And those aren't even words, so sorry. He does it so well. He must be right. He must be true. And massive people's follow, ma- massive groups of people follow them because they speak well and follow them because they're relevant and follow them because they're cool and they follow them because they've got their right clothes and there's no discernment whether what they're saying is the gospel or not. But that guy, have you seen him? That guy, have you heard him? That, 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 that can't be the anointing. We can't follow that, man. I'm just not being fed by that. Right? And that's what he's saying. That's what they're saying against him. And so, minister with the aim of building people up in Jesus. Do not minister with the aim of breaking people down. There's only one opinion that matters in your life. There is only one verdict that is ever going to matter at the end. And it's the verdict that God declares over your life. Not the verdict of your friends and not the verdict of your family and not the verdict of really broken, failed families of the past. The verdict of God is what is what is going to matter. And He's already given it in Christ. Approved. Live from that. Approved. Live in the security of that. Approved. The second step. Refuse self-promotion and comparison so you can boast in Christ's work through you. Refuse self-promotion and comparison so you can boast in Christ's work through you. Here's one of the ways we love to make ourselves feel better. We like to join some sort of tribe, some sort of group that's like us. And then look down on everybody that's not in that group because they don't measure up. I'm a social justice crusader. I'm good. 
You're not. I'm organic, BPA-free, gluten-free. I wish I knew more words to go along with that. Therefore, I'm good. You can tell I don't. I'm sorry. You eat processed food? What is wrong with you? Right? I'm good. You're bad. I'm so open-minded to people that agree with me. I'm good. You're a closed-minded Neanderthal. You're bad. And we do it with churches. I'm a conservative evangelical Christian. I'm good. Doesn't matter how I live. I'm in the right tribe. You're bad. We're not those Methodists. Right? And we've got these dear friends. Please. It's a joke, right? I'm going to just qualify it in advance. We've got some dear, dear brothers and sisters that, look, they're the frozen chosen. We're better. Baptist. And we want to justify ourselves. We want to make ourselves good. We want to make ourselves approved because we're part of the right group and we can look down on the groups that aren't part of us. That shows a total lack of spiritual understanding of the way God works. None of our works and none of our self-identification and none of the tribes we're a part of justify us. None of them make us good. Only the finished work of Jesus Christ makes us good. Makes us approved. And don't let yourself get trapped in comparisons. Comparisons are going to do one of two things. They're either going to make you self-righteous because you think you compare better to other people. Or they're going to make you shamed because you don't feel like you live up to other people. And a lot of times they're going to do both at the same time. Do not allow your soul to be captured by the prevalent temptation that every single one of you has been wrapped into, including me. Compare. 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 Jesus sets us free from comparison. He sets us free from the division of comparison. He sets us free from the separation from each other from comparison. So what if we were just to look at Jesus and say, how do I compare to him? Not as a guilt-producing, I'm not as good as Jesus, but as a throw-me-to-the-feet-of-Jesus-again because I need grace. And that's the way I measure up. I need grace. That's the way I'm approved. So I just want to encourage you. And I want to challenge you to be done with self-promotion, to be done with comparison in your life, to war against it with every fiber of your being so that you can grab hold of Jesus as your only justification. Let's look at it in the text. Not that we dare classify or compare ourselves. And I think Paul's being a little sarcastic here. I would not dare to step into a comparison with these wonderful teachers you have. You know the ones. They like to look at each other and compare themselves by each other and measure themselves by each other and see who measures up. And then they've got this great little pharisaical group of self-righteous people who are the elite. And, you know, I just can't measure up to those. I'm sorry. And so that seems to be what they're saying. Like, I'm not going to dare to classify myself because you compare yourselves with each other. That's what you do. The measuring stick of your life is the measuring stick of the person beside you. And I'm not getting into that. That's what Paul's saying. I'm not getting into a measuring contest with you. I'm not letting you put a tape measure up against me and up against them to see if we measure up. 
I'm not doing that. And see, again, in the ancient world, I promote myself by my eloquence. I promote myself by how powerfully I can speak. But then it leads even further to that. I promote myself by telling how great I am and telling how great my accomplishments are. And that would be very normal speech for politicians and very normal speech for teachers who made their living off the fees of students. I just tell people how great I am and I tell people how great my accomplishments are. And I tell people why they should follow me. And you know, if I'm ever going to do that, I've also got to tell you why the other guy is so bad and why the other church is no good and why the other pastor shouldn't be followed. And So i got to make sure that you see how great I am, but I also have to make sure you see how terrible the people around me are so you'll follow me. And Paul's like, I'm not getting in that game. It shows a total lack of spiritual understanding, he says. Right? They're without understanding. It shows a total lack of spiritual understanding when you enter into comparisons with other people. You have missed the point of the gospel. You've missed the point of the cross of Jesus Christ when you enter into comparisons. And so I just want to encourage you, be rescued from that. Be like Paul. I'm sorry I'm not getting into that game. Because I'm going to fail. Or I'm not going to get into that game. I've got enough self-righteousness without adding to it. I'm not going to get into that game at all. And so you've got this group. They're comparing themselves with each other and they're looking at each other and they're thinking, how good are we compared to everybody else? But then they're also looking at each other, man, how can I knock him down? Because I'd like to get a little more honor and I'd like to be the better teacher than them. I'd like to be above them. And so it's like infighting, you know, mixed in with this other little group we're a part of and we can always look down on the people outside of us. So if it gets too heated among us, let's just look again at that other church and then we can feel good about ourselves again. And then we can go to infighting for honor and position and status. Don't live your life that way. Your better grades don't make you more loved by Jesus. Your better speaking abilities don't make you more loved by Jesus. Your better teaching doesn't make you more loved by Jesus. You working harder and getting promotions doesn't make you more loved by Jesus. You advancing and becoming rich beyond your wildest dreams doesn't make you more loved by Jesus. You serving more than anybody else in this church serves doesn't make you more loved by Jesus. Because you're already perfectly loved by Jesus. Right? You're already perfectly loved by Jesus. So I'm not going to classify myself. I'm not going to compare myself with these people. And I'm not going to boast beyond my limits. So what are you saying? Like, I'm not boasting beyond my jurisdiction is what he's saying. So there's these people that compare themselves and they're just wrapped in this circle of of comparison and self-exaltation. And I'm not getting there. But I'm also not, not going to boast beyond my jurisdiction. You see, God's entrusted to me, he says, an area of influence. God's given me a field to work in. God's giving me people to influence with my life. And the charge they're making seems to be, I don't have jurisdiction in Corinth. And so look at Paul. He's like, I'm sorry. I do have jurisdiction in Corinth. I was the first to reach you. I do have jurisdiction in Corinth. I was the first one to get all the way to you with the gospel. And I have the scars on my back to prove it. I have the stone marks across my body to prove it. I'm the one that got the gospel there. I surely have jurisdiction there. You see, these guys want to walk into a formed church, stand on top of it on a throne of honor, without having done one thing to make it exist. And I'm not going to boast like that. Paul's like, I'm going to boast in the work of Jesus Christ in this area of influence. So Paul's not like, look at me. Corinth, you exist because of me. He's like, look at Jesus. Because I hated the church. And I persecuted the Christians. And I was on my way to get more of them. 
until Jesus blinded me and then unblinded me with the gospel. Now, he set me about this whole new purpose. There's nothing about me to boast in but grace. And it is grace that compelled me to go through the scars to get to Corinth. So I'm going to boast in Jesus, and I'm going to boast in Jesus' assignment over my life, as opposed to boasting in me and what I've accomplished and comparing myself with other people, not going there. And I want to challenge you to escape from self-promotion because it's so easy. I want to challenge you to escape from comparisons. It's so natural. I want to challenge you to throw yourself into the area of influence that God's given you. And so the only question becomes, what is God's verdict over the ministry that he's given me? I'm accepted and I live that way. But then do I throw my life after his purposes? Do I live for the approval of God by giving my life to serve him? You see, it's easy for you to build your life on your work and give God the little sloppy leftovers of your life. And it's easy for me to do it, and I work in a church. It's easy for me to get fill my life with other priorities. And it's easy for me to go through my weeks and it feel really spiritual because I'm studying the Bible. And then to stand up and speak to people. And it's the Bible, so it must be spiritual. And it's so easy to go through all those motions... But God's really just getting the leftovers of my life. And my ministry to Him is like, if I have time, I'll get to it, God. Otherwise, I've got some priorities I'd rather get to. And I know it's a temptation for you. You get more money when you work harder out there. You might get more acclaim in the eyes of your boss and co-workers when you give your life out there. There might be more things to post on the on Instagram if you do it better out there. But I just beg you. God's given you an area of influence. He's giving me an area of influence. He's given you a ministry. Maybe you haven't embraced it yet. Or he's given you a ministry. And maybe that ministry doesn't get what the best of your life and your heart. I know there's seasons. Mine doesn't. But I just want to beg you. Like, walk out of the comparison game into the approval of God. Game and throw your life after what really matters. Throw your life after people. And so refuse self-promotion and comparison so you can boast in Christ's work through you. Because it's the work of Christ through you that's going to really matter in the end. Not, not how big a gold watch you get when you retire. Let's take the last step. Boast in Jesus is multiplying ministry and mission, not your or others' works. By the way, I'm, I have no clue about English, so I don't know if that's right. Y'all can, y'all can like send a note if you need to to fix yours or yourses. I don't know how that works. Boast in Jesus is multiplying ministry and mission, not yours or others' work. So our vision statement, it's on your bulletin. We believe in filling the earth with people who enjoy the glory of God. And we think there's one way that's going to happen, by multiplying disciples who treasure Christ, who engage in genuine relationships and growth of change, who engage the lost in word and deed. Like, we believe that's how the earth will be filled with the enjoyment of God's glory. Which makes one simple thing true. If you're a believer, you are a launching pad for a new believer. If you're a disciple, which means if you're a believer, if you're a disciple, you are a launching pad for new disciples. If you're a teacher, you're a launching pad for more teachers. If you're a Sunday school class, you're a launching pad, uh, pad for new Sunday school classes. And yes, gasp. If you're a church that God is strengthening, then you're a church that is a launching pad for other churches. You see, multiplication is the way that God has built into His people and into his groups, and into his churches, for the world to know him, and the world to love him, and the world to enjoy him. 
And so the question becomes, am I going to give my life to launch people in the faith? Am I going to give my life to make disciples? Am I going to give my life to multiply the giftings and services that I have? Am I going to give my life to multiply groups and classes and churches until the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea? Am I going to give myself to that? You see, everything that's healthy, it reproduces. And that's what Paul talks about in this last passage. Why does it matter all this boasting talk, right? I'm not going to boast beyond limits. If I boast too much in my authority, verse 15, I'm not going to boast beyond limits. Why does this matter? Because here is the fundamental, one of the fundamental differences between him and these false apostles. They want to come into Paul's church and get all the honor that belongs to Paul and sit on a throne with all the privileges that come from being the leaders. But they don't want to get their hands dirty and they don't want to get their backs bloodied to make it happen. They want to boast in the work of Paul. And Paul's like, I'm not going to boast in the labors of others. I'm not going to build my life based on what other people have done. And I would even include for you and me, I'm not going to boast in my past work. Because it's real easy, like, man, I've, I've been real successful. Let me just rest on... And then all of a sudden, you're telling 10-year-old stories. And 5-year-old stories about ministry and life. And I'm going to boast in that, the labors of others, but not fresh labor, fresh bread, fresh passion, fresh work. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. And Paul's like, the only reason I, I, I boast in this jurisdiction is I want to see faith formed in you. And when faith formed in you, it's going to multiply in you, it's going to deepen in you. But the only reason I want to see that, and the reason I want all these issues ironed out, and the reason I want us reconciled. One, because I love you, and I want us to be reconciled, but two... Because as long as I'm concerned with all these other little issues that are attacking my life, and as long as I'm putting out fires in the church, I'm not breaking new ground with the gospel. 90% of the issues in churches are caused by people that aren't breaking any ground with the gospel, and they're not doing anything. So they have time to complain. The people that have their hand on the plow, the people that are following after Jesus, hey, there's no time to look around and see what's wrong. We're headed somewhere. And so what is he talking about? Like, I want to see faith formed in you. I want to see it multiplied in you. I want to see my influence enlarged, my responsibility enlarged. Why? So I can preach the gospel in lands beyond you. I want these issues settled. And I want us to be reconciled so that together we can become a launching pad for the next place of ministry. And I think with us, we get our lives so tangled up by the... You know, like uh, Paul talks about... No soldier gets entangled by civilian affairs when his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And we get so tangled up with work and stuff and projects and and distractions and busyness and TV and games on our phone and have we posted our quiet time verse of the day yet? We get so trapped by distractions, distractions, distractions that we're not worried about taking new area with the gospel. We're not worried about multiplying ourselves as disciples. We're not worried about seeing our groups grow and multiply. We're not worried about seeing new churches planted all over the globe. We're not worried about our ministries launching and going further than they've gone. They'll be fine. Man, I look good today in that filter. Right? Oh, everything will be great there. I'll just, I'll just show up and give some day old bread. My favorite show is on Thursday nights, right? I don't know what day yours is. I don't know what day mine is either, but that's an example. Right? And so, I, I want these issues to be dealt with because I want the gospel to go to lands beyond you. I want the gospel to multiply. 
And I need you to do that. I need us to be restored to each other to do that. I need the distractions and the fires that I'm putting out to be put out so we can do that. And I'm not pulled away from it. I'm not pulled away from going further, but also I'm able to have partners that are enlisted to go further with me. And then he closes out the section. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If we want to get in boasting contests, great. Have fun. Let's see who can brag on Jesus more than anybody else. Let's don't see who can brag on their works and their ministry accomplishments and their jobs and their bank accounts. Let's see the people that can boast in Jesus better than anybody else. Because the only boast that will matter is the boast of Jesus Christ. In Romans, Paul says it this way, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except for what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And so thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Jesus has been named, but where he hasn't. The driving ambition of his life is for Jesus and Jesus' work and Jesus' ministry to go where it's not, to go where it's needed. That's what I'll boast in. I'll boast in the cross. I'll boast in its infamy. I'll boast in its shame. I will boast in the Jesus who is at work in the world to restore people to himself. I won't boast in me because the one who commends himself, they're not approved. The one who measures and compares himself with other people, that's not approval. It's the one who God puts his hand on and says, well done. Good and faithful servant. It's the one who puts his hand on and says, by the work of Jesus approved. That's the one who's approved. And so you can look for commendation and you can look for approval and you can look for significance by the labors of your hands and the eyes of other people or you can look for it from the hand of the Father given through the work of His Son Jesus to go live a life that lives that out. A few practical things as we close out. Give your life to build others up in Jesus. You ever notice there's plenty of things in the world to tear you down? You're going to go out to the world this week There's going to be things that tear you down. There's going to be things that wear you out. There's going to be things that discourage you. People are really good at that. Don't be one of them. Be one of the people that brings life. Be one of the people that brings encouragement. Be one of the people that brings hope to the people around you. Give your life to build and make better everything around you. Because that's a function of the gospel to make broken things whole. Every broken thing. Second, beware of comparison. You're either going to live a life of pride and self-righteousness because you compare so well to everybody else. Or you're going to live a life of guilt and fear and shame of exposure. They're going to realize I don't measure up. I'm not as good as those other Christians. Man, they look like they are so much more spiritual and have it all together and are so much better. And so I have to live with self-loathing because I don't measure up. And I would just encourage you to nail that to the cross and let Jesus' word be the word over you that defines you. And then don't miss ministry and mission for something less. I don't mean quit your job. You need that. But I mean go to your job as a place of mission and ministry. And I mean it's beyond, like, go to your home. It's mission and ministry. But don't leave it at your home. Go beyond your home. It's ministry and it's mission. Go to your workplace. It's ministry and mission. And in the church, it's ministry and mission. And if you give God always the leftovers... Because you're busy with your life. If you give God's service always the leftovers. Because there's something else more important in your life. You are going to miss what matters. And you're going to retire with a gold watch and a fat bank account. 
Maybe. And you're going to give in your whole life to something that doesn't matter that much. While neglecting the area of influence, the people that could have been changed, the disciples that could have been made, the lives that could have been restored, the marriages that could have had hope, the friends that could have met Jesus, if you had only looked away from you to the influence that God's given you around you. And through your life after what matters versus the stuff that's going to rot and waste away. And so let's live for the approval of an all-gracious Father who has loved us to the cross, adopted us into his family, and then sent us out about his work. Live and serve for that approval. And you'll find it. And it'll be secure. Let's pray. Father, oh, in Jesus' name we bow. We are so messed up. Even now, God, we're looking around and Man, they looked like they were taking better notes or they look like they're more spiritual or they look like they have it all together and we just want to